Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is um, a, a difficult, I think it's a great text <laughs> when it comes to talking about money and finance, because it's one of those that Jesus, boy, he just kind of tells this story that, that seems backwards and inside out, and it makes you go, what are you talking about? None of this seems right, and it almost sounds like Jesus is encouraging dishonest, sinful behavior. But he's not. A, it's just a parable. But B, the idea of the parable is to help us understand the kingdom a little bit better. Uh, I kind of told a little bit about what this, this parable was beforehand. We're going to read it in just a second. But this is um, Jesus speaking about uh, this hypothetical, again, it's a parable, hypothetical master, rich guy, owns a big business, and he's got like high-level VP, executive, manager is kind of what they're going to call it here. And, and that interaction between them and his business stuff, right? The, uh, the, the people who are running the accounts and how that works. So because this is the word of our Lord and Savior, would you please stand? He, that is Jesus, also said to the disciples... There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is, is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill, write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much." If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, <laughs> I told you, <laughs> if you haven't read that text before, if you're unfamiliar with it, huh? <laughs> it's just, it doesn't sound right. Like, we should use unrighteous wealth to make friends. That sounds manipulative. That, that doesn't sound good at all. And why is, why is Jesus saying, like, you should kind of be dishonest and maybe steal from? Like, it 
That's not at all what the text is saying. The reason why it's, it's immediately in your mind that way is because we are accustomed to operating in, in the world that would absolutely count that as dishonest and, and wrong and sinful and like probably illegal, <laughs> by the way. Like that guy probably would go to jail. He'd probably be arrested, all of that. that. That's because we are operating with a certain set of assumptions. And um, at the beginning, the very, very, very beginning of this whole series, um, when we started talking about what he said about stewardship, the first sermon I preached um, had a couple of points that I just want to go back and reiterate to, to help us get our mind back in the right spot. So um, first, up on our screen, that's not yours and we are managers. <clears throat> Those are the first two points of the first sermon that I gave on this stewardship series. First is just, that's not yours, meaning none of that is yours. None of the stuff you have, not even your kids are yours, right? They belong to God, and he has gifted them to you to raise and essentially manage into adulthood. But eventually, they will leave your house. You will pass from this world to the next. And, and who do they truly belong to? Well, they belong to God. And so n- none of the things that we have, and in fact, we even had this psalm up there. This played a prominent role in that first sermon. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's a fancy way of saying the stuff in the earth. The world and those who dwell therein. All the people, everything. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Scripture says, God says in the scripture, the whole planet's mine. All the stuff in the planet is mine and all the people in the planet, that's all mine. Money is in the planet, right? Money is a thing. It's a thing that exists. So it belongs to God. God has all of the money and some of it is in your bank account. That's how we really need to be thinking when we get to this text. Not not that this money belongs to a company or a a bank or or anything like that. We have to keep in mind um, that this is all his money. But we have to operate in a world, of course, where like we have a boss and a company and their shareholders and and this money, they they see it as as theirs and the companies. We operate in that world because that's a, a kingdom of the world mentality. And we have to have one foot in both kingdoms, right? We, we can't go to our boss and be like, listen, this is all God's company anyway, so I prayed about it and you're fired. That'd be awesome, right? I bet everybody here would love to do that at some point in their life. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it doesn't work that way. Kingdom of the world. We call it kingdom of the left. It's, that's my left. Kingdom of your left over here. But um, the rich master in this kingdom, well, what is he doing? He is, he is looking at this guy, and he says, you're wasting my possessions. You're wasting my possessions. We assume, because our brain is in the world of business and boss, that the possessions being wasted means, well, the boss is less stuff, less money. But in the parable, in this parable, God is the rich master. So to assume that God values money above all things is the very first mistake. And there's something that's easy to miss if you don't understand the the context of the culture at the time. This story would make a lot more sense 
if Jesus said, you know, this is how the, the disciples would expect it to go. Jesus would say there was this rich master and this manager was wasting his possessions. He found out about it, so he had the guy killed. <laughs> that would be normal. That's a, just a normal story from this time. So already the disciples are going, wait, 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 wait. He, he didn't kill the guy? No. What does that say about this master? He's about grace. He starts from a position of grace, not going to do what the law says to do, not going to do what is fair and right according to the world and the culture and the standard business practice of the time. This master is acting differently, moving from a place of grace and saying to this guy, you're not doing these things right. Now, the master doesn't get mad when the guy goes and cuts all of his debts way down. That's not what he's mad about. He's mad that he's wasting the possessions. In fact, what he does is he goes back to this manager after he does all of those things and he calls him smart. He calls him shrewd. That's what that word has kind of a negative connotation to it, shrewd. That's why it gets translated as dishonest. It really means smart. He says that dishonest thing is smart. Good move. He's not mad about that. This is all, this is why it's, it's like it should be in your brain already causing some conflict. Like this is, I don't see how this works. It all boils down to what is valuable. What do we value? See, most of us have as a very, very high priority, a very high value, money. Even if you, you, you give, you contribute, all of, you, you feel like you've got it right, you still value money a lot because you draw the direct connection between the money you have and the food on the table, and that's pretty important. The money you have and, and the home you live in, shelter, so, so you don't die in the elements. It, yeah, that's... that's a good thing to have value on. But the master here clearly doesn't value money above all things. That's not his priority. Because in this story, he loses more and is happy about it. He loses more and goes, good work. Good job. You finally figured it out. It's, it's hard for us to do, to imagine when it comes to a situation like this that, that there is something else valuable in this story. We don't, we don't see what it is because our brains are locked into this certain thing, right? Like, <clears throat> let, me, let me tell you a story, my own little parable, I'll try and help you get the, the idea of, of valuing things. Well, there was this woman, right? And she was um, unconventionally smart and like, unconventionally strong and powerful and articulate. Like she wasn't educated, but then basically self-educated and like found ways to, to do amazing and powerful things. But instead of taking all of this just raw talent and ability and leveraging it for, for money, for, for home, for food, for all these things, she just she was impoverished her whole life. Uh, in fact, she was described by some at the end of her life as penniless and ill. Died from a disease, you know, this is a long time ago, but still died from a disease that was treatable. And, and she just essentially 
had nothing, never was able to really own anything, never was really able to, to uh, have property long-term. She had and lost. And, and it was just this, this life of, of financial wreckage her whole life. And you might look at that and go, but she was so smart, so powerful, so articulate, so brave, so all of these things, she wasted all of that, right? Well, I'm talking about Harriet Tubman. Oh, yeah, freed at least 70 slaves, played a huge role in the, the not, not only in freeing slaves in the Civil War, but featured prominently in the civil rights movement posthumously, was a big part of the women's suffrage movement, giving women the right to vote. I mean, to this day, she still, in a lot of ways, um, is inspiring and changing the lives of, of people of color and women. <clears throat> but she wasted her life because she didn't make money. She didn't have stuff. And it's just one of, I'm sure, 10,000 examples we can give where we go, okay, so, yeah, I get it. There are things more important in this world than money. But this text still seems strange because doesn't it start at the beginning with a master who is concerned about money and that's why he's angry at this dude? No. <laughs> no, it's not. He's concerned He's angry or disappointed that he's wasting his possessions, but it doesn't say what his definition of wasting is, right? What we need to know is what the master values. <laughs> what does the master value? Well, what makes him happy? What does he say? Finally, this is um, from Luke chapter 16, verse 8, but it's the first part only. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. There's not a great way to get this, like the force of this really good in English. This isn't bad. This is the ESV. It's more like the Lord said that dishonest thing was smart in a way that kind of goes, you're finally figuring out what I value. I didn't value the money. I didn't value the possessions. What does he commend him for? Building relationships. He finally figured it out. You, he looks at his, his manager and goes, you finally figured out that the people were more important than their debt. The people are more important than their debt. You are more important than the debt you owe to God in your sin. What does the master value? The man went to forgive. The man went to cancel debt. Now, it's not a one-to-one -one because he doesn't cancel all of the debt, right? It's, that's what God alone can do is cancel all of the debt. But we, we start to understand that's what the master values. I get it. In this text, what, what Jesus is saying is, Look, in this world, we would say that would be a smart thing to do. You're about to get fired, and you go, and you do all this stuff. I mean, it's super dishonest, and it's evil, and it's bad. But you see how even the bad, dishonest, sinful person of this world knows how important relationships are. What about you? <laughs> you belong to the kingdom. Don't you know how important relationships are? Don't you get it? This, this is what he's saying at the end of the text. He says, I tell you, the, the people of this world understand that better than you. 
The people of this world, the people apart from the kingdom of God, they're getting it. They go, yeah, investing in people is beneficial. But all that's like sinful and wrong. They did it the wrong way. That was unrighteous money, unrighteous wealth, unrighteous relationships, all of that kind of stuff. But at least they understand people are more important than things. And people are more important than money. That's what this financial sermon and stewardship is. God does not value your money. He has no use for it. God does not not value possessions and money above people. And of course, that's obvious, right? We read that and we go, oh, okay. But then then it's not sinking in because then we oftentimes will value money more than God. It's just that easy, right? We, 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 we tend to start to value. That's why this text was so hard to get through your head because in your head, you're thinking, well, that businessman should be really upset. He lost a bunch of his money. And you missed the part about the relationships. Don't feel bad. I missed it a thousand times before I read a commentary that explained it, right? Like, I, I'm not somehow inspired by the Spirit, and I understand everything. Smarter people than me have written books, and I read them, right? All of us tend towards this, this um, valuing this, this thing. We, we interact with it every single day. It, it, we require it for everything we do. I mean, everything costs money. It, of course, it's, it's always in front of us. It's always a part of our everyday lives, constantly. And it's just because we're weak, we're sinful, we're frail, we're, we're, we're just people, and so he, he does things for us, gives us opportunities on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on all, all sorts of time frames to remind us that's not the most important thing. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't have a lot of money. Uh, guess what? Everybody here is rich. Everyone. Um, you, you may not think you're rich based on your house in your neighborhood or your neighborhood in your town or your town in your city, But if you were to extrapolate that out to the globe, yeah, you're rich. You're in the top 1% of the whole world. And if you did that over time, (laughs) you're in the top like a tiny fraction of 1% of people over the last several thousand years. You're the richest people who've ever lived. Okay, That's who you are. And God's not mad at that. He gave it. It's his money. If he didn't want you to have it, you wouldn't. It's that simple. If it comes from him and it's in your bank account, what you should not, don't feel guilty, you should say, thank you. <laughs> that's, that's how you should feel. Don't feel guilty because you're rich. You should feel thankful that he is given. Just don't think that's more important than the one who gave it. God values people. God values relationship. God values knowing his children and his children knowing him more. God values more of his children who don't know him knowing him more. This is, this. I'm trying to help understand where for, for decades now this congregation has had this type of mindset when it goes into budget and money and finances and all of that. And I can show you, and I'm about to, how that works out for us, all right? Usually at this time of year, every year, I'm like, you know, 
State of the church, it was supposed to be the weekend that it got snowed out. State of the church, we, we would like to at this point in time be, you know, for our general offerings at like, you know, on a month-to-month basis, mid, low 90s, mid 90s, that's good for us, right? I mean, I haven't preached about money in years. I haven't had a stewardship series in a long time. I haven't really been hitting the offering. We just started passing the plate again. So <clears throat> maybe we're lower than we have been historically, you know, but that would still be good to be like in the high 80s or something like that. Our first picture that we have up here shows that we're at about 107% of our budgeted offerings. That's good. In case you were wondering, that's a good thing. Um, why? I don't know. It's not my job to know. I only know this place values people more than money and then we have 107% in giving. Let's look at the next one. This is what we have on hand. <clears throat> That's good. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to get too much into the details because I want to keep this more sermon than anything else. A church our size in, in a um, giving campaign and how much we've already spent on the ELC and all of those things, this is really good. And if you want to know why and more detail, that's the, the town hall meeting in a couple of weeks. I'll dive into those details. But here's what I do want to say. That's really good until it's not. Right? What is a waste of a possession for God? If we're not using that for relationships. If we're not employing that for the kingdom. If it sits in a bank account for 30 years, earning interest for us, this isn't good. It's okay if we have a plan for interest, and, those, and it's okay to have operational expenses banked. It's, that has plans for resources. But again, if we start valuing this number, which is a great number for a church our size to have on top of a building program with giving where it is, we're like, we're doing great. We got lots of money. That's bad. That's wrong. That's sinful, and that is, is the steward that gets killed, right? That's the church that dies. I mean, obviously, we're a long ways from that. <laughs> I'm not saying this close. I'm saying we don't go down the path of killing our church. We don't take one step down that path. We make plans for that which is given to us, and those plans will always value people and mission, the gospel, the church, all of those things above any personal look at us, aren't we awesome? This feels good and safe. We have lots of money. That is the path towards death. Let's look at one more up here. <clears throat> I think I've got one more. Yeah. So we, we had a pledge of about a million dollars to get through, like many pledges to get to about a million dollars for the ELC. Um, we surpassed that. We forgave 26,000 of those pledges because people moved um, people left, you know, they moved to town, something like that. Uh, we're still $61,000 over, and we still have people who are, are giving to that because they haven't finished their pledges yet. This is good. I don't know if I to keep telling you this. <laughs> this is good. This is really good. This is, um, no, no churches tend to experience this. So you should know this is a unique thing. Um, I, I'm not... <laughs> I don't even know how to say what I'm about to say. I'm just going to say, uh, this isn't like, 
the, the golden bullet, everything is good, everything is fine. Other things happened. Costs went up since we budgeted, of course, because that's, well, you guys may have noticed inflation. Um, and we had budgeted this, this team that was going to come in and do some work for us, so that team no longer exists as a national Lutheran team. So some things have changed. So it, it isn't as though what we're saying is you don't have to fulfill your pledges anymore. In fact, what really remains that you're going to hear in a couple of weeks is with what we have and what is given now, sanctuary, other spaces, what is our plan for these dollars to make doing the kingdom work best? How do we do what God wants us to do best? I can't remember if I have any more up here. Do I have another one? No. Okay. So, <laughs> point being, um, that's good. Our attendance numbers... Um, almost seem like they've gone down a little bit since year over last, but haven't. We're at about 140-ish, 150, somewhere in there. But our online numbers are up. I thought that was going to go back down after COVID, and it, and it hasn't. This means we are going to start having to figure out and change what, are we, like, do, what is the plan for an online community? How do we stay connected? What are the next steps? It's, it's just a challenge to figure out. What is God calling us towards? Because good. You know, 20 to 30 people regularly online is bigger than most churches in America in person. That's, we have a church, according to the, the definition of churches, online. And we're currently doing nothing for them. So, sorry, we're working on it. We, got, we know, we see you, we know. Uh, so, attendance is, is doing well. All things discipleship, the Bible studies, all of that. We're going to keep talking more about our build project. Even that is, um, if you be careful on this, because again, going to detail later, and I was talking to like one of the guys on the build team, trying to figure out, I want to say the right thing, and I want to say it well, and not accidentally lie. <laughs> so I can't exactly say that we are ahead of schedule and under budget. I can say that we are ahead of the schedule we had. <laughs> so it is, it is. There's still more to go. Ahead of schedule. And it looks like we are not going to spend, probably not going to spend all of our contingency dollars. So if you think that's under budget, then it is. If you don't think that's under budget, then it isn't. That's, I don't care. That's, I don't want to mislead anybody. That is going fantastic. What is that going to mean? It's going to mean suddenly we have more space. We are doing more mission and ministry, more kingdom work. We ought to expect the Lord to bring to us and entrust to us more to do. And that maybe that's more people. Maybe that's just more work. I, I don't know what it is. My job isn't to tell him what to do. His job is to tell me what to do. But I, my job is also to tell you, we got to be ready for that. We got to be ready for that. We have to stay. I think we absolutely are. And, and all of this stuff is, again, I want to get this in the right context. <clears throat> this, I, I hate preaching on this stuff so much because it, it I'm afraid it sounds like I'm bragging, like, look what I did. I didn't, I didn't give all of that money. <laughs> I didn't do any of this. This is you guys. And this is God working with you guys. And I, for some reason, have the, the privilege to stand up here and say it. But don't for a second think that I deserve any of this, any credit for this, anything. And don't, don't think that that's a humble brag. It's, see what I mean? I hate this. <laughs> like, I didn't do this. But this place is, is focused on what Jesus calls true riches. And I love that. 
right? True riches. In the text, he's just absolutely clear about it. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little can be dishonest in much. If you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? We're not working towards that. We're not on that path. We have that. True riches have been given to us. True riches are found in this place every time we receive the body and blood of our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of sins. True riches are right there. Every time we, we stick to, to the most important thing, word and sacrament ministry, when we don't bend to what is convenient or simple or to the world, when we, when we call sin, sin, and we forgive, when, when we say this is wrong, welcome to the kingdom of God. When, when we keep these things, and that does take work. That is hard. Staff works hard. Uh, volunteers work hard. And all of you are working hard every day in your life to do that. And we're doing that, and the Lord has given to us true riches, and it's not money. The true riches that we have, look around. The just amazing people and stories of faith, of redemption, of failure, of, of God pulling people up and, and from dark places of, of growth, of change. All of that is here. Look over there. We're building a building based off of zero advertisement for kids to be in that building. We have spent almost zero dollars over the years advertising for our preschool. And we have always had waiting lists. We'll give you more information in a couple of weeks on the 18th, but there are already some waiting lists, and the building's not done yet. Those are true riches. God is giving us true riches every time somebody comes here and goes, I don't know if I'm on board with Christianity yet, but I can hang out here for a little bit. Or I don't know if I'm on board with Jesus yet, but I'll, I'll bring my kid to this school because they're safe here and they love my kid as much as God loves my kid. This is the place that we have the true riches that have nothing to do with the numbers of the state of the union, which is why it's so hard to preach this sermon because I got to give you the numbers, but that's it, not what God is concerned about. The master does not value the numbers. The master does not value how many people are here. He values you. And man, does he value your neighbor and your, your co-workers and your family members who don't have a place like this, who don't have a relationship with the Lord. <laughs> Money is not his priority, and it certainly isn't in his way. It might be in yours. It might not be. I don't know. Here's what I do know. There's one time, one place in all of Scripture where God says, bet. One place, one time where God says, oh yeah, bet. Test me in this. Well, the Bible says, do not test the Lord. Well, the Lord says one place in the Bible, test me. It's Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. And he says, test me in this. Bring the tithe and see how I pour out riches. 
Now, that does not mean bring the tithe and you'll be rich. <laughs> does not mean give to this church. You'll get a raise at work. That's prosperity gospel. That's garbage, right? What it means is the Lord says bet. Bet on the Lord. Give to the Lord. See what happens, right? And it's not that you're going to be better off. You're going to have less money if you give to this church. Your bank account's going to be smaller if you give to this church. You're going to be more poor if you give to this church. Give so that what you see are relationships that are so much more valuable than your bank account. That's, and then let, let me give you an example. I, I know there, there, are, there are people who have, have already pledged, contributed, and finished those pledges to the ELC. My family is one of them, right? Our, our pledge paled in comparison to many, <laughs> but also there's some who haven't. And I'm, I'm not mad at that. Don't. Don't give if, if your heart's not in the right place. But I'll say the same thing the Lord said, bet. Bet. See what happens if you do. And I'll give you just a little example. I know that when that thing is humming and cooking and there are dozens and dozens of families and hundreds of kids who are growing and their little worlds are changing and lives are changing and it's amazing, people in this congregation will say, wow, look at what the Lord is doing through us. And I know there might be a little, little voice in the back of your head that goes, look at what the Lord is doing through them. That would make me sad. So, I mean, the Lord's going to do it anyways. But, but if you're not participating in it, I want you to feel that it's yours. I do. But I know how, I know how people work. I know how humanity works. And you go, that's, that's the thing that everybody gave money for except for me. I know how that feels. I don't like it. That's why I'm telling you, I, this, this is not hyperbolic. This is not any of that. I, I mean this. Put a nickel in an envelope with your name on it, and you can say, we. The Lord is doing this through us. The Lord is doing this thing. We have this amazing ELC. Just a nickel. I'm, I'm not even kidding, and I don't care. I, I, for you, for you, it is important to know that, that valuing people and ministry and mission and kingdom is more important. I don't believe there is anybody in this church who couldn't find a nickel in their car, like now. <laughs> I don't believe there's anybody in this church who, who couldn't skip one coffee and, and put a couple of bucks in. I don't believe that. But I also believe this. The Lord says, test, and he pours things out. He empties the storehouse. And I am confident the true riches are here and more are on the way of more people, more mission, more ministry, and we are stewards of those things, first and foremost. But to do that, he has called us to steward his money for his mission and his kingdom. So at the end of the day, bet. See what happens. Amen.